All right, friends, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and turn with me to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew. As we're singing that song, uh, I hope uh, that that really has been a reality for many of us in the room, if not all of us. And if you don't know that to be true for you, I pray that you do see it to be precious, this blood of Jesus. Uh, oh, precious is the flow. Uh, he's precious. Uh, he's the greatest treasure of the universe. He really is everything. Uh, if you don't know him to be that, uh, we pray that you see him uh, to be such this morning. And so uh, this morning we're going to jump in. Uh, really, the text this morning is uh, kind of the high point uh, of Scripture. All the things we've been looking at this year, if you're a guest with us, uh, we're coming into the home stretch of a journey we've been doing all year in 2015. We've been studying the Word of God uh, together. So we've been walking through from Genesis all the way through chronologically looking at the story of God unfold. And so as you see the tagline up here on the screen, uh, the tag of this series that we've been kind of wrestling with is this story, this Bible is the way that we know God. If you want to know who He is, you, He's revealed Himself in the Word. And so we know God from Eden from the beginning all the way to eternity. Uh, that's the goal of our lives is to see Him and to enjoy Him and it's called worship. It's what we are made for. And so this morning, Everything that we've seen that's unfolded, all of the prophecies of the one to come, all of the, the hopes of someone who would come and fix all that we and our sin has broken, as we've looked ahead, as God said, I'm going to come and make a way for you to be reconciled to me. And we've been in this, all this longing of waiting for this one to come. In the last few weeks, we've been looking at the life and the ministry and the teaching of Jesus. And we've seen kind of what he claimed to be. That he was fully God and fully man. And he walked among us. And he offers us new life and a righteousness that's apart from us. And he's done all these miracles to show that he is the Son of God. The kingdom of God is breaking through. And so this morning we're looking at, at the climax of this, uh, all of this. And so I want to start by asking the question. We've been looking at Jesus and what he's been teaching us. Uh, but why did Jesus come? Like, what's the point of his coming? All these things we've been looking at, like, why would God, the, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, become a man and dwell among us? Like, what's the point of that? And so, well, from the mouth of Jesus, we read in Matthew 20, verse 28, uh, Jesus says, even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve. And the Son of Man came, verse 28, to give his life, to give his life as a ransom for many. From the mouth of Jesus, that's why he entered into human history. He didn't come to be the king and everyone just to serve him. He said, no, I'm going to gladly empty myself for you. And I'm going to do so by giving my life as a ransom for many. And we see another example of this. He just goes a step further and that he's going to give his life, but it's, he's not going to be taken from him. He's in control even in his death. And so Matthew 16, verse 21, the words will be up behind me. This is from the mouth of Jesus. So from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go. That he must go to Jerusalem. Why, should, why must he go to Jerusalem? Well, so he would suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. So Jesus is foretelling his death. And I'm going to go to this place. I'm willingly walking into the place where the religious people and the people in control of that day, they're going to beat me. I'm going to suffer many things. 
I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. In other places, he said the temple will be torn down, but in three days will be rebuilt. And he's talking about his own body. He's because he's fully God, and so he said, "No one's going to take my life from me. I'm willingly going into this myself." But notice verse 22. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, "Far be it from you, Lord! This shall never happen to you." But he turned and said to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan!" You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So as he's prophesying his death, Peter's like, we're not going to let you die. Like, you're our, set, you're our king. We think you're the one. Like, this is not going to happen. And so here's what Jesus says. If you want a savior, the Messiah, without the suffering, like that, that thought of a, of a savior that doesn't suffer, that doesn't pay for anything, that's satanic. That is from, that's a lie from the pit of hell, literally. And he says, he says, because of this, you're not setting your mind on the things of God. You're thinking like a human. You're thinking from your limited vantage point. You're not thinking from the vantage point of God and what he is doing in the world. You guys see that? You're not setting your mind on the things of God. You're setting your mind on, on what makes sense to you. So here's, I want to read this another passage because we're going to get to um, Matthew 27 here in just a second. So why? That, that, that this Son of God, He's come, and this is, He's, why did you come, Jesus? I came that I might die. And then the disciples are like, man, we're not going to let you die. And he said, no, no, no. To not die, to not suffer, is, is thinking from a worldly perspective. This is not why I came. You're not thinking the thoughts of God. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the words will be up behind me. Listen to this. This is so staggering, the claims that Paul's making here. For the word of the cross, the cross that Jesus has to suffer, is folly. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. It doesn't make sense why there would be a suffering servant, why God would die in our place. But, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The suffering is not foolishness, even though it may look to be foolishness. It is actually the greatest display of power. Verse 22, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So if you're here and you're an unbeliever, maybe you're a skeptic, you're kind of just coming back into church and you're looking into these things going, I don't really know uh, about this whole Jesus deal and what does it mean to follow him? Why do you Christians make such a big deal about the cross? We're singing a song about hallelujah, what a savior and lifted up was he to die. And I don't understand why people 2,000 years later are saying that that was a good thing. That someone would suffer and die like that and that we would crucify the the God man. Like, why is that a good thing? Why do we do this? Why is this the wisdom of God? How is someone being brutally murdered the wisdom of God? And how would it look like that he's, he's lost all power on the cross? There he is hanging in shame and nakedness. How is that power? How is that a display of power? So as we come to Matthew 26, as all of the Gospels do, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you're kind of new to this church thing, they're all Different men accounts of the same story about Jesus. So we're looking at Matthew's account today. But there's two chapters coming to the end of Matthew's gospel that unpack the arrest of Jesus, the trial of Jesus, the beatings of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. And this is what we want to look at today. And these things actually happened. 
Like we're looking at actual historical evidence of some, these things actually went down, okay? We're going to look at these, but I want, as we look at them, listen, we're going to see the mockery, we're going to see the dialogues, we're going to see Jesus' response and all of that. But as we read, if, if Paul's right, then this is the wisdom of God unfolding. This is not just some isolated instance. This is the wisdom of God, the very plan of God that we've been walking through for 11 months so far together. This is the plan of God unfolding. Everything has been leading up to this place. And so let's see beneath all of the happenings and let's see what God has to speak to us uh, today. It's all the plans unfolding. So here's the tension of the Bible before we jump in. And I think we've been wrestling with this all throughout the, the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the question has been, as we've seen God reveal himself, and we've seen the sinfulness of humans, like they just, we just keep messing everything up, and God keeps pursuing us by grace. And so here's the tension of the Bible. How can a holy God, separate from sin, forgive wicked sinners? Like, there's nothing good in us. And how can he do that and still remain just? Either he's going to absolutely punish iniquity and be holy but how can he show love to us in that or we have a god that says no no no, he's not going to punish anymore he's just going to be loving but how can you say that he's then holy because he's just not dealing with our sin that's the problem of forgiveness some theologians have said that forgiveness is one of the biggest uh, threats to god's character because if we don't understand what we're preaching about today it does not make sense how this big transcendent awesome Holy God who cannot even look upon evil, whose wrath burns against sin. How can that God accept us? And see, that's not the question that we're asking in our culture, is it? Really, the question of our culture is not how can a holy God forgive wicked sinners and still remain just. That's the problem of the Bible. That's what we've been wrestling with. The problem of the culture, what we ask is, how can a good, loving God send anyone to hell? Like, how is that good? And I think because of that, that shows us our mindset, church. Listen, we don't really understand how big God is. And I don't think we really understand how deep our sinfulness goes. And if we don't understand this tension, the Bible never makes sense. And listen, the cross will never be good news to us. If we don't see God for who he is and see ourselves for who we are, all of these stories that we're going to read this morning is just going to, okay, that's nice. What does it mean for me? And so it's a big thing we need to wrestle with uh, this morning. I want to share with you a quote from John Stott um, from his book, The Cross of Christ, and I highly recommend uh, that book to you. Here's what Stott says to us. Before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we must first see the cross as something done by us. That what we're about to see is God himself taking our place, and it is for us, and it's a good gift, and we're going to get to that. But first, we have to see it's never going to mean anything to us. And repentance will never happen if we do not see the cross as first something that we have caused. It was our sin that brought him to the cross. And we have to um, see it as such. And so what I want to do is do five quick snapshots of a sinful heart. We're going to walk through this. I, I pray that you've been reading along with us in the story reading plan. Uh, but we're just, uh, we can't read all three of these chapters. We'll be here all day. If you guys are cool with that, I'll definitely read them. But I know y'all want to go to lunch. So I just want to kind of jump around and summarize uh, some of what he's talking to us today. And we want to see a snapshot of the sinfulness that's on display 
Yes, 2,000 years ago with the Roman leaders and the people that crucified Jesus. Yes, yes, all of that. But I want us to see us here in the middle of this. And I think that um, we can. So there will be a lot of scripture reading. Hope that's okay. We're in church, right? Uh, Matthew 26, uh, verse 61. The words will be on the screen behind me. Let's read a few verses here. First, we're going to see a snapshot. This is creation judging the creator. Creation judging the creator. At last, two came forward and said, this man said, talking about Jesus, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. And they spit in his face and they struck him. So see the, see the scene. See the scene. Jesus is been arrested and now he's on a, a, a mock trial in front of these people that are putting him at judgment they've arrested jesus and the only thing that they can have against him is you claim to be god it's the only sin they can bring up against him is the sin of blasphemy and they're falsely accusing him but i want you to see jesus reply we got to move on there's so much we can say here but in verse 64 he says you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven it's a direct claim from the book of daniel that i am who i say i am i'm the one that you've been waiting on Here's what he's saying. Right now in your sinfulness, you are putting yourself as my judge. But there's coming a day that I'm coming back and I will be your judge. I'm going to judge you. And what you see is just the heightened of our arrogance, of our sin. Listen, guys, this is what sin does. We are the created, but yet we place ourselves in judgment over the creator. That's what sin does. We think that we know best. So I ask a question as we move on. Have you placed yourself as God's judge? Have you said in, your, in, your, in our arrogance of our sin that I will say what's right, I will say what's wrong, I will live how I want to live. That is the heart of sin. But as we move on, we've got to get going. Matthew 27, verse 20. Not only we will see creation judging the Creator, but we see Him rejected by those He came to save. Rejected by those He came to save. Verse 20 of chapter 27. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Pilate, they say, he says, what has he done? And the answer is, he's done nothing. There's some truth to that. He's completely innocent. But you see the heart of the people, the people that he came to save, he's now being rejected. And said, so, we don't want him. Give us the criminal. We don't want the Messiah. They missed Jesus. He came to save them, and they are still pushing him away. The only offense that they could bring was that he offended them. That's the only thing they could bring against him, is that you offend us. You're not letting us have our agenda. And so here's the question that I want us to wrestle with. 
Have you, have I, have we rejected Jesus because he does not give us what we want? They want they rather have a criminal than the Son of God who came to save them, and he didn't come the way that they thought, so they rejected him. That's the heart and the nature of our sin. Let's keep reading. Matthew 27, verse 28, we see the king is mocked and he's beaten as a criminal. And they stripped him, verse 28, and put a scarlet robe on him. Twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. And the height of sin, the height of of human just evil, is that they're looking at, yes, he is king. And they're looking at him and they're mocking him. They're putting a robe on him saying, look at your king now. They're, they're putting this crown of thorns on his head. The height of mockery. And so let me ask us, in our sin, listen, have you mocked the authority of God? He is our king. And in our sin, if we continue to say, no, no, I'm going to live however I want to live, it's as if we are mocking him. This is us. Put yourself in this shoes. That We are in the crowds. I hear, I, ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers that we're about to sing here in a second this is us let's keep going Matthew 27 um, and 26 we see these two uh, images of, of two of Jesus' followers we see that the sheep are scattered as the shepherd is struck that's a prophecy that Jesus gives of himself. Like, I am your shepherd. I'm gathering you to myself. But when I'm struck, when it, when it gets down to the where I'm really going to have to suffer, you're following me to get things from me. But when it gets difficult, my sheep are going to scatter. They're going to be gone. And so as the sheep are scattered, we see two examples. We won't read it for the sake of time. But Matthew 27, we see Judas' betrayal. That he sells his loyalty to Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And then when he actually sees that Jesus is getting condemned, he tries to go back and make it right. And it was too late. And he, he gets so depressed, he goes out and hangs himself. His sheep scattered. And then you see in chapter 26, verses 73 and 75, you see this picture of Peter, one of his closest followers, that in the moment when Jesus is being suffered, he's suffering alone, and the disciples are all scattered, and, Jesus, and Peter is sitting by a fire. And this woman says, hey, aren't you one of those followers of Christ? And he goes, hey, I don't know Jesus. And three times, he denies that he ever knew Jesus. And, and one of the accounts says that Jesus was a long way off, and his eyes met with Peter on that last denial, because Christ had just prophesied that you're going to deny me three times before the, cro- before the rooster crows. And he remembers the words of Jesus and he just gets so just sunken in guilt that he went away and wept bitterly. Everybody walking away, everybody rebelling against Jesus in the final moments. This selfishness that's leading to shame. He's left by those who were closest to him. And then chapter 27, verse 39, this will be the last kind of point of this, these snapshots that we're looking at of our sinfulness. We see the crowd's mockery. Let's read it together in verse 39 of Matthew 27. Those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. 
He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. I am the son of God. Listen, they'd seen signs from Jesus. He'd proven over and over and over and over and over again that he was who he says he was. And now they're saying as he's up there suffering, hey, if you'll just do this last kind of miracle, this last sign, we'll believe in you. And the, the height of disbelief, this rejection of God. That listen, we don't need another sign. I, th- I heard of so many of my good friends who don't know Jesus, won't believe in Jesus. Like if God would just show up and prove himself to me, then I would believe. And I think what we're learning here is, no, no, we wouldn't. He has proven himself over and over again. He's revealed himself over and over again. And we don't want to see the truth of who he is. And so we just gladly reject him. We just gladly reject him. And so now they're asking for another sign. But they've had signs in the height of sin, the height of rebellion here. So this is us. We see the, high, the, the sinful heart, but this is it. We want our autonomy, our freedom over God's authority. That's what sin is. We want our way over God's grace. He's coming to us in grace and saying, hey, I'll offer you myself. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to work for it. You can just have a relationship with me. And we've taken that grace and said, no, 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 I would rather go my own way. And we've all looked at God and said, I would rather this sin, this thing that I refuse to give up more than I want your love. That's that's the case of the human heart. That's all of us. And one sin against an infinitely holy God demands eternal punishment. And we've sinned a lot more than once. Like it's our heart. Everything about us is sinful. We don't just do sins. We are sinners. That is who we are to the core. And you see such a vivid illustration in the historical account of the resurrect or the crucifixion of Jesus. This is the case. And so as we transition to talk, we're about to close and remember the Lord's Supper together. But so what does all this mean? All this sinfulness. We kind of get it into perspective a little bit. I want to share a quote with you that I've shared with you many times before. But from Timothy Keller, it says this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And I, before we move on to the, to the other side of that, I want that to sink in a little bit. I hope that this is just a picture as we walk through all these accusations against Christ. And we see that, man, I'm not a good person. The Bible says there's none good. No, not one. None of us do good. None of us seek after God. And our sinfulness, none of us would really argue that. We all know that we're pretty bad, but we're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever even dared believe. The height of our sin, what that punishment really causes. But that's not where Keller stops. That's not where the Bible stops because he says, yet, this is what the gospel is. Yes, you are more sinful than you ever dared believe. But yet at the exact same time, listen, church, you are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. That's the cross. It's not, he just loves you, he doesn't care about your sin. And it's not, hey, it's your sin, you better you know, get it right. And there's no love. No, it's both. And the gospel does this. You're more sinful, but at the same time, more loved than we could ever imagine. So, everything we've seen up to this point, hang with me. There were thousands upon thousands of people who died this way. There were other people who were falsely accused, other people who were arrested, other people who were beaten, other people who died on the cross. That was just a Roman version of execution of that day. Think electric chair, but a lot more just cruel. Thousands of people died that way. Why is Jesus' death unique? Why is it 
good news? Why is it the wisdom of God unfolding? And so three things, put your seatbelt on, we're going to go quick, okay? Three things of what this means, of what is really happening. We're going to look underneath all of the events, but what is Jesus really accomplishing here? First, what did he do in all of his dying, all of his suffering for us? First is this word called substitution. Jesus died instead of us. So Matthew 26, we, we've been skipping around, but right before all of this stuff happens, he's with his disciples in the upper room, and he's about to, to start this meal of the Passover for us. And he says this, let's read it together, Matthew 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You see that? It was, it was common for blood to be shed. Someone has to die to pay for our sin. Something has to be dealt with. But Jesus says, no, 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 this is going to be my blood shed for you. Not just a substitute that's going to die in, my, in the place for, to put your sin off. But no, 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 I am going, it's going to be my body broken. It's going to be my blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. Someone has to die. And then Isaiah 53, thousands of years before this moment, says this about this. But he, Jesus, guys, listen, if you've been growing up in church, let this sink in. Don't let it grow familiar. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Jesus was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are all healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. That's the, the height of our arrogance and our sin. And the Lord, that's the Father, Yahweh, God, has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Jesus is dying. Listen, the wages of sin is death. He had no sin. Why is Jesus dying? He's dying in your place. He's paying your debt and my debt that we have deserved. The innocent one is dying in the place of the guilty. How can God love us and still remain just? It's because he's going to pay for us what we could never pay in ourselves. So what did he do? He substituted himself for us. But how did he do that? It's this big theological word but i'm going to share it with you because you need to know what it means and it's in the bible propitiation jesus died for god and that word propitiation is this idea of literally it's the consuming of wrath he takes wrath upon himself it's as if it's going to be poured all of god's anger against your sin would be poured out on you but instead jesus is the propitiation he drinks that cup he takes it all on himself so that you don't have to he died for god he had to appease the father of his perfect sovereign will and his holiness and he does that in the cross so matthew 27 we get to the scene on the cross and he's the last minutes of jesus's life when he cries out now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour and about the ninth hour jesus cried out with a loud voice saying eli eli lama shabachthani that is my god my god why have you forsaken me? Here's what's happening on the cross. All the physical suffering is nothing compared to this moment when Jesus is taking the Father's wrath on himself and he's forsaken from the Father for the first time in eternity. He is separated from fellowship with God. Drinks it in full. That's why Romans 3, we won't read it for the sake of time, but Paul says, this is how 
that God can be just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ. Meaning, how can he still be holy and pure and still justify us, make us righteous? How can he do that? How can he forgive us? Well, it's because Jesus drank the cup of your wrath. So listen, here's the reality. Hang with me, guys. Look up here at me. Here's the nature of God's wrath. God will not be mocked, and he will punish sin. And either we will endure the punishment of sin for eternity apart from him in hell, where the wrath of God is just poured out on us, or we trust that his wrath was poured out on Jesus. And by faith, we say, I will trust that that work is, can be applied to me. Somebody has to pay for my sin. God's not going to overlook it. He doesn't grade on the curve. His wrath is real, and it will be poured out. Will it be on us for eternity if we refuse to turn and bow to Jesus and say, I don't want my sin anymore. I want you to be Lord of my life. I, I can't pay for my sin. i got to trust that what you have done here works for me. And that's the beauty of the gospel is that he says, I will give you all of my obedience as if it were your own. You're disobedient, I'll give you my obedience. You're not righteous, I'll give you my righteousness as a gift. You're going to have to take God's wrath for eternity or I will take it for you. But you must repent. You must believe that I've done this for you. And then lastly, why did he do it? So he substituted himself. What he did is he actually paid our sin debt. But why did he do it? Redemption and reconciliation. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was rejected so we can be accepted. So John 19, 30, we see first, we are bought back. The ransom price was paid. He's paid the penalty for our sins. In verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. You see that? All the things that we've been looking at, all the prophecies, who's going to fix this? It is finished in Jesus. It is finished. We are bought back. He paid the price for us. But then we are brought near. The wall has been torn down. Matthew 27, we see after the death of Jesus, he's given up the ghost. He says, behold, the curtain of the temple, the curtain that separated us from the presence of God. We couldn't go into the presence of God. And he says, this curtain that separated us from knowing him was ripped, was torn in in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and the tombs were also open. He's made access for you to have a relationship with God. Not in what you do for him, but in what he has accomplished for you. That is the beauty of the cross. It's what he's paid for you. He substituted himself for you. He died instead of you. He died for God and he took your place and paid your debt. And he's paid the ransom price for you so you can be set free. And he's offering you access, reconciliation. We're no longer enemies with God because we have been made peace because of what he's done on the cross. Is this true for you? You know this. Because there's a response here in this story that I want to close with. Matthew 27. Throw that up there, brother. Matthew 27. Uh, the centurion, one of these guards that was responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus, says after he saw, uh, keeping watch over Jesus, he saw the earthquake and what took place that we just read, and they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. He took our place. All of this is happening. Like This is not just another dude dying. The centurion has seen a lot of people murdered this way. He said, no, this is not what it is. This guy is who he says he is. Nothing's happened quite like this. The, ra- the ransom has been paid. This was the Son of God. Will that be our response? 
So if you're here today and you don't know, if you don't know if you know Jesus, will you say that? Will you see what Christ has paid and say, this is from him? Like, this is truth, and I will repent and believe. See, all of this stuff we're talking about, forgiveness and reconciliation, is not just available to anybody. It's available to those who will repent. That word means I'm going this way, and I'm going to turn from that. I don't want that anymore. I'm going to place faith in Jesus as my Savior and as my Lord. I don't call the shots anymore. I don't call the shots anymore. He's Lord. I don't have to save myself. He has saved me, and I trust that he is the Son of God. That is faith. Do you have it? Has this ever happened to you? So if you bow your head and close your eyes uh, with me, we're going to enter into a time uh, of response as we remember the Lord's Supper. And so what I want to do as the band comes up to lead us is we just want to remember this good news of the gospel, the mystery of God and the plan of God unfolding, that he's taken our place. Do you believe this? Has this ever been applied to your life and so we're about to take the lord's supper Um, it's the picture of the body and blood of christ but before we do scripture tells us to search our hearts and to confess sin and to remember the gospel and so we want to spend this time just to do that just to quiet our hearts before the lord and thank him as a response for this and if you're here and you do not know christ i'm going to ask you in this moment right now say i do not know him and so i'm going to repent say jesus forgive me of my sins i trust what you've done for me i want to follow you i want to be saved by you and he will like he will if you want to have more information about that want to talk about that we would be glad to do that but you don't have to wait you can do that right now for the rest of us who do know jesus like we're about to remember this beautiful sacrifice what he's done to take our place Uh, and so just rest in his love for you let that compel us to our knees in awe that he would not leave us in our sin but he would make a way and suffer and die and do all of these things so that we could be reconciled to him so thank him for the cross thank him for the sacrifice thank him for what he's done in your place and so we're going to sing this song how deep the father's love i hope that it just really shines out because his love shines for us on the cross so see his love for you and rest in that. And so if you need to stay seated and and do some business with the Lord, please do that. And let's sing this song together as a response of worship.